Hey, we're in the final chapter, rhymes with chapter 15, called the church. That's right. And of course, we all know that the word church means us. That's a safe word. I like that, us. That's right. A group of called out ones. And hey, I'll give you a piece of gum if you guys can get, without looking, the Greek word. Get at it, Pastor Jim. You want a gun? I tell you what, you got your gun right there. But that's right. Ecclesia is what it means there. And if you turn to page 165, we saw the church. That's what it is. And as we take a look at the study, what I've noticed, guys, personally uh, in ministry, is we we it's another Christianese word. Believe it or not, even this word church is a Christianese word. Okay. And sometimes we act like we don't even know who we are. And what we saw is the word, as Pastor Jim reiterated, is ecclesia, ec meaning out or exit, and group, a group of called out ones, okay? What are we called out of? The world, okay? Let's define the world. The world's what? Sin, it's corrupt, it's everything that's basically anti-God. Unfortunately, the little God, little G, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. That's the one who is infecting this world. And what we saw is he's called a group of people out that he died on the cross for so we can be placed into this thing called his body. The church is not a building, it's us. It's the body of Christ. And that's what we saw last week. If we understand the body analogy that Paul uses over and over again in the scripture, it really opens up our eyes, who we are. And it opens up how much as Christians, the church, the body of Christ, Christ, we desperately need each other. How many guys would say, again, as we saw last week, if you were here, how many guys would say that each one of your internal organs is extremely vital? Right? It is, okay? Even the old appendix that they used to say is a vestigial organ, that's an evolutionary thing. That's not true. They found out today that you need that thing, okay? You can live without it, but uh, that doesn't mean you don't need it, okay? Uh, that thing it has some effects. I'll show you some documentation, John. And, uh, but uh, you could, you could uh, lose an arm or leg, but that doesn't mean you, you can live without it, but that doesn't mean that you know, there's not a positive benefit in having that thing, okay? And, and, and so that's what we see is the body of Christ. We need each other. We need every single part. Each part is different. Each part inside of you and your intestines is different, right? But every single one is needed for proper body function. And so it is with the church. Let's continue on the top of page 166. The church, is it local or is it universal? Well, thanks for asking, Tom. That's a brilliant question. Let's take a look. The most common use for the word church in the New Testament is to designate a group of believers that are identified as a local, not loco, local well, I digress, but anyway, that's my local assembly or congregation, okay? Uh, the local church is thus a group of believers gathered together in a specific locality. We just happen to meet at 1780 Betty Lane. That's right, Byron 1780 Betty Lane in Las Vegas, Brazil. I got your attention. No, Nevada. That's right. And uh, by the way, I, I'm going to have to make a disclaimer for those of you watching the videos. And if you guys have seen the videos, uh, we had a guy. Uh, so the first week I was here, I think, and we had a guy from the East Coast uh, record uh, the little audio for the um, uh, salvation message, the little information when the screen pops up. Hi, if you'd like more, you can go to blah, blah, blah. And uh, did you notice he said uh, Nevada? No, dude, but it was too late. I wasn't going to redo it again. But anyway, that's right. But anyway, we're, that's where we meet at, okay? That's what the church is. This is where we happen to meet, okay? It's not this building. It's us. This is where we meet. Now, uh, Lord willing, here in a few weeks, when we get that uh, bowling fellowship going on, guess where we're going to be the church? Samstown. <laughs> and hopefully we will be a positive witness, uh, including if we are losing and throw gutter balls. But anyway, that's right. Uh, but that's where the church will be because the church isn't the building. It's us wherever we go in a local setting, okay, is the point that he's talking about. Now, the universal church, okay, that's the next blank there. The universal church, on the other hand, is all those who in this age have been born of the Spirit of God and have by the same Spirit been baptized or identified, is your blank there, identified with the body of Christ, okay? Now, that just blows me away. Every Christian who's ever lived since Pentecost, since the birth of the church, this unique uh, time frame when anybody, Jew or Gentile, can be saved and indwelt with the Spirit of God. That's never happened before. Okay, there were certain times when the Spirit of God, as we saw in the Old Testament, he'd light upon the kings and the prophets for certain things. But we have a permanent indwelling, okay, the body of Christ. Anybody on the planet for the last 2,000 years, whether it is here in Las Vegas, Nevada, okay, uh, or in Brazil, okay, who's a true born-again Christian, they're a part of the overall giant body the universal body of jesus christ okay and and whether we see him or not guess where we get to see him 
in heaven. And then you can, you can extrapolate that even further, even before the church. Uh, the Old Testament saints. Anybody, do you realize this? We, we, we read like the Old Testament sometimes like it's a, it's a Sunday school story. It, it's a little, it's a flannel graph thing. And here comes Noah. And here goes all the animals. You know, and all that stuff that we do. And we act like, well, that's just kind of a character. Those are real people. Isn't it going to be cool one day? Yes, praise God. That's the hope of heaven. That's the hope of knowing that your loved one in Christ who's also a Christian, if they went before you, it's a temporary goodbye. Heaven's going to be an awesome, incredible family reunion. And that's why we tease uh, forever and ever, not just last week, and apparently it's continuing on, do I get to call John Liverman, and he calls me gastric juice man. <laughs> we get to do it forever. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, it's awesome. But on top of that, who do we get to see there? Moses? Wouldn't that be cool to see the real guy, Moses? Oh, Jesus, of course, that's the politically correct answer, but that is a great answer, isn't it? To see our Lord face to face and thank him. Oh, to even just be in his presence. To see Adam. Dude, why did you eat that apple? I love you, but bro, (laughs) come on. We're going to lay hands on you. That was the Old Testament. Let us cool you in on a New Testament term. It's called laying on of hands. No, that's not what we're going to do. It's going to be a great time in heaven, right? But Noah, dude, what was it like? We're going to talk about that wicked society, Lord willing, uh, uh, this coming Sunday. How did, wow, how did you put up with it? Man, you preach for 120 years, and how many people listen to you, as far as we know? Zero. Whoa, how would you like to have that ministry? No results. But you do what God's called you to do. To meet Adam, to meet Moses. Moses? Moses! Moses, dude, what was it like putting up for 40 years with 2 million people who whine and complain and they tried to usurp your authority and were cutting you off and doing this, all this horrible stuff and you had to go, they're the ones who were disobedient, not you, and you had to go along with them. What was that like? King David, the mighty men of old, the mighty warriors. I mean, wow, what a heritage we have as the body of Christ. Every Christian who's ever lived the universal church, whether we see them or not. Can you imagine the stories, the testimonies that will be shared unto the glory of God, Lord willing, about the Christians we've never even heard of in the 1400s, in the 1100s, uh, uh, right now today, but they're over there in the Sudan and the amazing things that God did through that person we'll never know, but we'll maybe know in heaven and share the amazing things that God did? Wouldn't it be cool if at least just maybe five seconds of of heaven's time, if you will, okay, even though when you get to heaven, you take your watch off because it's eternity, but anyway, play with me, that they might say, and now let's talk about Sunrise Baptist Church. Let's talk about this portion of my body on earth. Look at what I did through them, through the Spirit of God. Wouldn't it be cool if it was more than five seconds? I hope it was a whole lot more. But that comes from when we understand who we are. The universal church is those who all who in this age have been born of the Spirit of God have the same Spirit, been baptized, identified with the body of Christ. As Paul ends states, it was this corporate group, group of believers that Christ promised to build. It was this body for whom Christ died. Okay, And he is the head over it, given a direction. Now that's what we saw last time. Can you imagine? You're the head. You're the brain, if you will. To break it down even more. Can you imagine every time that your brain gave an order to your body, it didn't do it? Or it did whatever it wanted. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm really going to just simply say, hi, John, how was your day? And every time I told my brain said that, out of my mouth said, hi, liver man. Hi. Would you knock it off? Just say, hi, John. Liver man. Hi, liver man. Would you? Can you imagine that? Hey, I need to get over here to go see Tom. Really? I need to write on the board. Can you imagine you're the head and your body just doesn't do squat? It doesn't do what you want to do. It just sits there. Or it does uh, the opposite. Or it decides to do whatever it wants to do. That's what we saw last week. Guys, we are the body of Christ. He's the head. He's calling the shots. We need to do what he says we need to do, okay? And, uh, but it says this, a particular emphasis of the universal church is unity. Now, this is a major mega witness in our world today because if there's anything this world does not have, it is 
Unity. That's right, Ruth. Unity. Right? And so when the world sees a group of who? Us, the body of Christ. Who are we? We all look like Pastor Billy. Yeah, praise God. Liver man. No. <laughs> oh, that's going to be lasting a long time. No, but uh, praise God we don't, right? Although, where's he? Oh, he's not here tonight. I tell you what, Don Russell, he's got it going. Have you noticed his outfits lately? He's got it going, man. I love his dockers and polos and black belt and shoes. I love them. But anyway, that's right. Hey, no, we're all different, okay? Is the point. And so we're, we're not just different looking. We're different sizes. We've got different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different pigmentation. We're different ages, different all this, different all and, and the cool thing is the body of Christ, we got unity. What's he say? Whether Jews or Gentiles, that's anybody who's not a Jew, so that's everybody else on the whole planet, all together composed of one body in a unity produced by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine, and because this is who we are, a ragtag bunch of people from different backgrounds, different ages, different walks of likes, dislikes, whatever, sizes, you name it, and they get along? What a witness. What a witness to this world that's so cracked up so messed up, so broken up, broken homes, broken families, broken companies, broken lives, broken, 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 broken. And in the church, I mean, I could see if you guys were all like liver man. Of course you have to get along. All right, I'll do it myself. I'll def- <laughs> or Mr. Gastric, or what is it, gastric what? Gastric Jesus, right? Of course you guys have so much in common, you have to get along. But we aren't alike. You get the significance there? The world should look at us and go, look at all you wackos. Or as we saw, locos or local assembly. And yet you get, what? Can I be a part of that family? Can I join the intestinal group? Please? Can I submit to the head? I love how his brain's working. It's a lot better than what I was doing. Right? It should be a profound witness. Now I want to share a story again of of, uh, the video I showed that we did to the premise for the reunion movie we're working on. Because this totally fits, okay? I'm telling you guys, this is one of our profound witnesses. As the body of Christ, when we come together in unity, what an amazing, amazing witness. Just the fact that people coming in here and seeing a bunch of ragtag people getting along is huge. And here's what he shares. He says, in the 50s, a friend of, a friend of mine, and this is a true story, by the way, okay? A man named Clarence Thomas uh, in, the, in the 50s, 1950s, okay, invited to, was invited to go to a church in Northern Carolina. You ever been there? Down south, okay, North Carolina, iced tea, sweet iced tea, excuse me, uh, and all that stuff. This was prior to the civil rights movement in the 60s, and segregation was still very much prevalent. But much to his, his surprise, when he got there to this church service, he discovered that the congregation was totally integrated, 50-50, black and white, okay? And given the times, he was obviously surprised at this, especially in North Carolina, racism was extreme okay and so when he got to the service and when it was over the old hillbilly preacher he said there said he asked him he says how'd you get this way and the old hillbilly preacher said what way and uh, clarence responded you know black people white people together how this happened and the preacher began a story he says well i'll tell you how we got this way he says you see we were a small church and we had about 20 members and uh, clarence said that night when he went there there were hundreds and hundreds in the congregation okay and the preacher continues, he says, well, one day our preacher died, and we couldn't get a new preacher know-how. So after uh, two or three months, I went to the deacons, and I told them that if they couldn't get a preacher, that I'd be the preacher. So they let me preach. And I got up there next Sunday, and I opened up my Bible and put the finger down, just did one of these numbers. So that's the way they do it back in the hills there. Don't recommend it, but anyway. And it landed on a verse, and it said, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, that everyone is one in Christ Jesus. And he said, and I told them that to the church. And when the church is a, a church, when a church is a true church, that they don't know any of these racial divisions, they don't know any of these ethnic divisions, that everybody is one in Jesus Christ. He said, I preached that to them. And he said, and after the service was over, the deacons called me in the back room. And they told me they didn't want to hear that kind of preaching no more. And so Clarence said, what'd you do then? And he said, the old hillbilly preacher said, I fired those deacons. He said, well, if a deacon's not going to deacon, the elder's not going to elder, you've got to fire him. And then Clarence said, well, how come they didn't fire you? And the preacher said, because they never hired me. <laughs> and he says, and once I found out what bothered those people, I gave it to them every single week. And he said, did they put up with it? And he says this. He says, I preached that church down to four. <laughs> and he says this, listen. He says, you know, sometimes people, 
Revival begins not when you get a lot of new people in the church. Sometimes revival begins when you get a lot of the old people out of the church. Not in age, but the people who are playing the games and not being the body of Christ, inhibiting the body of Christ. And then here's what he says. He says, well, what happened then? And the preacher said, well, from then on, we wouldn't let anybody in that church unless they really love Jesus. And he asked the question, he says, well, how, how can you tell people really love Jesus? And the preacher said, well, when people love Jesus, they love each other no matter who the other person is. Why? Because every internal organ is needed. Yeah, it's different, okay? Different size, different function, but it's all needed, okay? That's a profound witness. This is who we are. This is who we are supposed to be as the church. Now, let's get to the point of that's kind of who we are. Now, let's get to the issue of what we do, okay, and why we do what we do, okay? Because this is another thing that falls apart. It's one thing if we say, hey, I'm going to church. No, you're not going to church. You are the church. Yeah, the church burnt down. No, it didn't burn down unless somebody lit you on fire. Okay, okay, but now it's like, all right, what do we do? Why, why do we do it? Why, why is there pastors? Why is there, why, what's this deacon thing? Why do you have a deacon? Why do you have a pastor? Why, why, why is he up here preaching again? Why do we have that guy? What do we have all this organization for? Well, thanks for asking. That's the next topic, okay? He says that there are several elements that distinguish a local assembly in the New Testament church. They include, here's our four categories to finish out this study. Organization, okay, organ. Hey, that's, that's a little pun there, isn't it, John? Organ. Uh, corporate worship is your next one. Ordinances and ministry. Ministry. All right, let's take a look at the first one, organization. Okay, A distinct structure is seen as one studies the New Testament in relation to the local church. Okay, In Acts 14, 23, we see that after Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now that's a trooper. How would you like to meet Paul? Paul, when he preached to these cities... They uh, basically took him outside the city and stoned him with rocks. You got to say that nowadays. And they stoned him with rocks, okay, and left him for dead. And he might have been dead. We don't really necessarily know in the text, but he was there. But the people came around and prayed, and the guy got back up. And what did he do? Last time I go there, I'm going to Brazil. Forget that Nevada place. He went right back in there and preached it again. Can you? Whoa! What a dude! Saul loved to meet that guy. And guess what? We will, as Christians, one day in heaven. Isn't that going to be cool? Hey, when you get there, aren't you hoping you got a story to tell yourself? Wouldn't it be horrible to get to heaven and you have, and so, Paul, what you, and this and that and whatever this, and God did this, and it was awesome and that, and then, and all that. George Whitfield, the revival and stuff like that, and all and this and that, and, and, and Jonathan Edwards, and the nether revival here in America, and oh, that was cool, and the people got in ran to the pulpit after he preached that sermon sinners in the hands of an angry god and spread revival across america ah, and so what'd you do i made sure the pew didn't fall over because if that wind picked up it could have can you imagine not having anything to share wow hey let's continue on that's a little that's too much. Uh, and so Paul goes back in there. And they returned to those cities. And what did they do? They appointed elders for them in every church. That's called leadership. Right? You know, because there's, there's this misnomer out there. People, they romanticize this. I don't know if you guys heard it or gone through this phase in your walk with Christ. If only. You know, it's like when you finally get to the point where you start to see some of the warts and the bumps in the church. Okay? And, and then you go, oh, man, this is getting a bummer. Right? And then you romanticize, if only it was like the early church, right? The early church, you read the book of Acts and people are getting saved. Hey, that's cool. God can still do it today. But we act like there was no problems in the early church. Excuse me, I said it before, I'll say it again. If you think there's no problems in the early church, please don't read the New Testament. Because when you read the New Testament letters, what is Paul writing about? Problems in the church, problems in the church. <laughs> and aren't you glad for those problems? Not condoning them, but because of those problems, we have the New Testament. Yeah. So how can you romanticize and go say, well, let's go back. If you're going to go back to the other church, the problems have always been there. Why? Because we still have to deal with the sin nature. And the Bible is very clear. Not everybody who goes to a church service is a Christian. I don't know the heart, but the Bible is very clear that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we? They didn't trust in the work of Christ. But they came here and they sat here every week. 
didn't mean they belonged to him. I don't know the heart. We can be fooled. I can be fooled. God can't. And so is it any surprise then that there might be some troubles in the church when we still have to deal with the sin nature and there might be somebody sitting next to you who still needs to get saved? Makes sense. So why, why romanticize that? And then, but the other thing too, I brought that up for is this. People say, well, you know, we just need to go back to this free loving thing and we need no leadership in the church and it's as if it's bad. Okay, no. Uh, has anybody at your workplace noticed there is some leadership there? Right? You need that for a company to function. Anybody ever in the military? Notice any leadership there? Right? You ever talk smack to the leadership? Right? Okay. But it was needed. You need leadership in order for military to function. Right? So you need in the company, you need in the military. Supposed to, men are supposed to be leaders in the home. Right? Well, then why don't we have leadership? What's the, who says we shouldn't have leadership in the church? God puts all things in for decency and order. You need leadership, right? Otherwise, it's going to get a cacophony. When you read in the Old Testament, okay, with like Miriam, Miriam, uh, not only there was leadership, Moses was the man. What did Miriam do? Remember that? She thought she could do it better than Moses. What did God do to her? Struck her with leprosy, man. Later, Korah. Here's a whole bunch of guys thought they could do it better than Moses. What God do to Korah? And every single guy that joined his rebellion killed him, knocked him out. Moses is the guy. Maybe you don't dis- you agree with the leadership, but man, I got spankings for this before because I've got leadership over me. You may not agree with your leadership, but you need to respect your leadership. Why? Because if you think you can be in a leadership position and be disrespectful, Maybe that's why God doesn't have you in leadership position because you can't even do round one. If you're faithful with the little things, you'll be entrusted with much. Okay, you have to understand God's authority structure and that's what Paul's talking about. There is authority in the church, okay? We're gonna talk about, Lord willing, relativism this Sunday and relativism is basically whatever you believe is true to you, whatever I believe is true to me. It's based on feelings. The Bible actually talks about that and there's different times, one in Deuteronomy, one in Judges and the Bible actually uses the phrase that's relativistic and he warns against doing that, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's relativism, right? And if you read the context, it leads to chaos, right? So in other words, if you're going to put a cap on that kind of behavior, we have this natural tendency, no, I want to do what I want to do and everybody's doing what they want to do. Can you imagine a group of people and your intestines who did just that? They did whatever they wanted to do. I think I'll only pump one aorta with the blood. Oh yeah, watch this. I'm not going to release those gastric juices because I'm mad at Liverman. You know, and there's no order. There was no. That mess you up. There's leadership that God has also for the church, and He says the first one is the elder. The term elder, presbyteros, is used synonymously with the terms of overseer, bishop in the KJV, episkopos, is it? And that's, uh, and then pastor, poimen, or shepherd. And it means they're literally pastor, teacher, or literally shepherd, teacher. Notice the two are synonymous. If you're a pastor or shepherd, you need to be teaching. We'll get to that. Where the verb shepherding is also used. The churches were always led by a group of elders. So in order to uh, be a pastor of the church, you have to be uh, 112 years old. Elders. That's not what it means. Okay, that sounded like, uh, what was that horse name? The horse movie? Remember the talking horse? Mis- didn't that sound like Mr. Ed? Oh, okay, praise God, I was getting concerned. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't. I don't know what it was. But anyway, the elder was like a George. Or anyway, right. anyway, so an elder doesn't mean you got to just be old. Okay, an elder is simply a shepherd, a pastor teacher is what it is. Now, and you can be young. Okay, and that's where we have the pastorals. That's what is called typically First and Second Timothy and Titus. They're called the pastorals. Why? Because Paul is writing to instruct and encourage young pastors called Timothy and Titus. Okay, is where we get that. So it's not just age. Uh, dare I say it's a calling, and I'd say it's a spiritual maturity issue because there is a litmus test, a criteria, and that's what he says. And these men were chosen on the basis of very clear criteria. It is the primary responsibility of the elders or pastors to nurture and feed, feed the flock entrusted to them. Pastor Billy, how come when we go to your office, there's a little placard on there, and it says, pastors 
game room. Come on in. This is all, hey, I don't know about you guys, but man, I just love sitting there all day and just I praise God for the internet being born because you get that afternoon crash there and you're so scared that somebody's going to walk in and see you doing that number. But now with the internet, at least you could be surfing or, or act like you're doing something just to stay awake. Yeah, if you see my office, you're going to see that the placard over it says pastor's study. Why? That's just what you do. That's what you're supposed to do at a church. So what you do, you just put pastor's study there. Yeah, why? What's it say I'm supposed to be doing as a pastor, any pastor? I'm supposed to feed the flock. What am I supposed to feed you? Uh, the Bible, all right? Uh... Aren't you glad that you can just download those babies for $7.99? <laughs> no, hope not. My instructors would, would beat me to death if I ever did anything like that. You better be, I had an uh, uh, instructor, he says, if you don't know what to preach on, you better suck carpet and pray and ask God and not get up until he gives you a word for the congregation. You better be doing that. And he said, don't you ever do a, call them Saturday night specials. Don't you ever wait to the last minute to prepare a sermon. How would you like that? Remember, he's talking about feeding spiritually the word of God, right? I mean, actually today, I'm not saying this to boast, but you need to understand because we're going to balance it out with the next office called a deacon. And this is just the biblical methodology. And there's order and there's a reason for it. Study. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. Hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, just today, I, was, I, had, I put down uh, what I'm getting ready to do for this Sunday, but I already started picking and poking at the following next Sunday, Lord willing. Starting to poke on it a week and a half before it even comes. Why? Because he gave us this analogy over and over again in school. He said, how would you like it? You're being fed. Right? Look at your pastor as a chef. Right? What would you rather have? You can have stew. He's making beef stew. Huh? Ooh, that's good stuff. I can't wait for Sunday. Pastor's making beef stew. Now, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a stew? Okay, for all you cooks in there. Uh, that, uh, that he's been simmering for several days. He, he whips up some carrots one day, pops them in the pan. They're simmering there. Maybe a couple hours later, he goes, ooh, I'll put some onions in there. Oh, that's pretty good stuff. And, and then after a while, he says, uh, Oh, yeah, I guess I better start putting some beef stock in there and get some. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two days later, oh, it's getting really dumb. The meat's just falling off this stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, let's start adding some seasoning and stuff. Like that. And, and so that baby's been cooking, simmering, flavoring, absorbing all that stuff. And here you go. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or how would you like it at, huh, what? Uh, it's 9.30 and services starts when? 10.45? Okay. Um, where's the microwave? I get, oh, oh, I found a, a can of Denny Moore beef stew. Slap that baby in there. Here you go. Which would you rather have? If you say Denny Moore, I need it. <laughs> You're going to make me cry, don't. No. And that's what you do. And that's how we were trained, I think, uh, as a shepherd should, to feed the flock. Give them a good meal. Okay. And that means it's gonna, you're going to be poking at that baby. You're going to be pray, And not just working on it. Pray. That's the other ministry we're going to see. A ministry of prayer. Interceding big time that God would move in a mighty powerful way should that day come. That he'd not only prepare your heart in preparation for that sermon, he'd prepare the people's hearts to receive it. Because I wish I had a button to <laughs> make people do it. Don't have it. But the Spirit of God can. And I'm dependent upon him. And so we need to have that time Okay, in order to do that, okay? And that's what he's talking about. It takes time to feed the flock that is entrusted to you. In addition, we see another office. Now, here's the balancing point. We go, well, what about all this stuff? Here we go. We see another office developed in the New Testament called the deacon, or better, servant, okay, is the word there. The term deacon is a, simply a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which literally means servant. This office was probably found in, the, uh, it had its beginning in Acts chapter six, where the feeding of the widows was being neglected because at that time the job had become overwhelming for the who? The apostles who the scripture says in Acts were daily teaching the people there uh, in, the, uh, in the area there towards the temple. And, and, and that's who they were leading the church in its infancy. Now to keep them, the reason why they drew up the, the deacon ministry, listen, was to keep the apostles from what? neglecting the word of God. So what they do? They delegate it. 
They had seven men who would be faithful administering the material needs of the needy in the church who were chosen by the congregation. Okay? This was probably at the beginning of, the, uh, of what later developed into the office of the deacon. And again, the deacons or servants are selected on the basis of a criteria of their own. Again, 1 Timothy 3. A simple distinction between the two offices is that the elders or pastors take care of the teaching. Okay? Teaching and instruction of the flock, and the deacons care for the material needs of the congregation. It doesn't mean that the pastors should never go uh, 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 help out, do office uh, or uh, hospital visits and all that stuff, and do all that stuff too. Pastor Jim does that stuff all the time, right? Still does it. doesn't mean that you can't, you know, have meetings and all, you can't do other stuff and funerals and wedding. I mean, it's okay. But one guy can't do it all. And God's got a backup plan. There's other men coming because why? Because the primary, I'm not saying it's the only, but the primary, according to the word of God, for your pastor, your shepherd, is to feed the flock. But you have to give that guy time to feed the flock. Okay, otherwise, you're going to start getting, is this Denny Moore again? This is a fake carrot. I'm going to call it liver man. <laughs> you know what I'm Right? No, and, and what's the guy going to do? When everybody's working together, though, Man, it's, it's almost like God's got this all ordered out to work correctly. And if we all do what we're called to do. Now, let's talk about worship. Ooh, he's got a couple stinger passages in there. This is wild. Our Lord revealed two basics about true worship. Underline that word, true worship. Okay, first of all, worship is not synonymous with singing. Okay, that is one aspect that we can worship God. But Romans chapter 12, we've seen that many a times, verse 1 and 2, says that we worship God uh, with these lives as living sacrifices, okay? But singing is one aspect, and Lord willing, that'll be on the following page. I seriously doubt we'll get to that tonight. But he says when he declared that it must be in spirit and truth. So if you're a worshiper of God, you have to do it in spirit and truth. Well, what's that mean? Thanks for asking, Tom. Keep reading. And spirit includes three things about the center of worship. One, worship can and should take place anywhere, is your blank, anywhere and everywhere, since the spirit is not confined to a particular place or time. Again, had an instructor drill in our heads. Did you know? You don't even need a sermon on this one. There's only two times that you need to worship and praise God. Two times, that's it. When you're alone and when you're with somebody. Okay, that's very profound, isn't it? But that's the fact. It's anywhere and everywhere. Okay, is what's so cool about it. Okay, worship comes. No, no, that, that's not a very godly prayer. I can't sing a song to Jesus. I have to do it at 1780 Betty Lane, Nevada. Okay, one of those two. It's somewhere next to Brazil. No, you could do that anywhere you want. Because God's with you wherever you go. Okay, you don't have to be, but don't we act like that as if somehow the, it's, it's better? No. Okay, let's continue on. He says, uh, worship, number two, comes from man's spirit. It is no surface ritual. <sighs> we never do that, do we? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. What's the next line? Where? Yeah, where is it? Yeah, it's time to sing praises to Jesus because we all know that songs in the church are love songs to him. Hey, uh, uh, what's the, on the bulletin? What's, what's going on here? Bulletin, what are they doing here? Say, he uh, praises to his name. We got to, <laughs> hey, Bob, did you see what's going on? Right? Oh, the next song. What's up? Uh, hey, hey. Man, I'm glad we never do stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, that would, be, that, would, that would be surface ritual. Ooh. True worship, number three, is a person-to-person, -person, capital P there on the second one, notice. Person-to-person -person experience, honoring with our spirit God, who is revealed through the Lord Jesus at all times and all places. In truth means that the character of true worship must be genuine and without pretense. Oh, come on, I got to. And we act like we're in this weird bubble that God cannot penetrate nor see. True worship is what he's talking about. Okay, God hates, what? I was just talking to some guy today, showed up in the office. 
Well, you can't, you can't say hate. God doesn't hate. Really? It's not what the Bible says. God hates sin. God hates divorce. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what we're going to see in just a second, God hates insincere worship. <gasps> Come on, are you serious? Uh-huh. Open your Bibles to Isaiah. Don't just quote these babies. Let's read them real quick. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. If you find Ezra, what do you do? And you give Tom a high five later because you haven't found that book in 19 years. I mean, it's awesome to celebrate while you can. That's right. It's one of those books where the pages are crisp and clean and still white and just awesome. But that's right. We're still in time as we get there. Isaiah chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Major prophet as opposed to the minor prophets. Right? Who worked in the gold mines and helped people. No, that's a different minor, Tom. All right, stalled enough time. Isaiah chapter 1. Let's take a look. Does God like this uh, phony stuff? You're just going through the motions and stuff and just giving them leftovers? And well, let's take a look, man. This is pretty strong words. Isaiah chapter 1, and uh, starting with verse 10, uh, uh, says this. Here's, oh, listen, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of who? Now, how many of you say that's your clue that God's not too pleased? Compare them to Sodom. And, and listen to the law of your God, you people of who? Gomorrah. You're, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And when you come up here before me, uh, who has asked this of you, this, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations. I can't, I, can you imagine God saying this about us? I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Assembling together, the church, ecclesia, we, we get together, we assemble. Can you imagine, God I cannot bear this anymore. I see all of this. I see you're not paying attention. Your hearts aren't even in it. You could give a rip. Oh. And he says this. He said, I, I, can't even, I can't even bear that. He says, that's, 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 stop it. It's detestable to me. Your new moon festivals, your appointed feast, my soul what? Ooh, who said that? God. I hate this stuff. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When, when you spread out your hands in prayer, and I'm going to hide my eyes from you. You're a bunch of fakers. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Wow. How many of you guys would say that if we, we, better, we better figure out what this worship thing is with God because all this kind of going through the motion thing and wishing you were somewhere else and doing something else and then why would you even come? We're here to worship God and he sees it all. All the little things everything let's look at the next passage malachi chapter one okay malachi chapter one if you find matthew take a what left i'll help you on that one that was a rough one <laughs> i'm here for you man malachi chapter one okay for those of you in italy malachi for those of you getting ready to go to hawaii molokai i'm still stalling for time that's right malachi chapter one malachi chapter one verses seven through fourteen listen to this one Woo, wow now, if you need to understand the, the, the prophet Malachi, okay, after the, the prophet Malachi, it's called the intertestamental period. And basically, that was 400 years of silence until John the Baptist appears on the scene, right? This is it. This is the last thing, okay? God's not pleased. And, and Israel had already gone into captivity. They came back out of captivity, and they started doing the same goofball stuff. In the, in, in, what? Listen to what he says, Malachi chapter 1. Verses 7 through 14, he, he says this, You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, oh, How have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. I'd rather be somewhere else. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When, when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Listen to this. Try offering them to your governor. Can I translate that? Try acting like that. Try giving leftovers. Try having that bad, snotty attitude, not working. I don't want to help. I don't want to do nothing with your employer. Because that's what he says next. He says, would he be pleased with you? Would your boss like that? Do you treat your boss that way? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Whoa. 
Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires in my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. Listen to this. My name will be great among the nations. When a non-believer comes in the midst of Israel, a Gentile, when a non-believer comes, dare I say, in the midst of the church today, God wants them to be witnessed to by how we worship God. And if they come here and it's just a bunch of baloney and a bunch of games and you're going through the rituals, God says, no, my name is to be great. And if my people can't act like I am great, God Almighty, what's the world going to think? Pfft. Who cares about Jesus? You don't give a rip. And you're at the church service. You say, whoa. If we're going to worship God, it has to be in spirit and in truth. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled. It's contemptible. And you say, what a burden. Oh, we don't do that. We don't say it's a burden. Oh, man, they got to help again. Oh, man, i got to go there again. Oh, man, i got to hang out with Liverman again. Come on, I already saw him twice this week. Oh, man, i got to go. My, oh, my, what? That's a burden. Whoa. And you sniff at it contemptuously. <laughs> wow. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Do we give God leftovers? It's good enough. Or do we give him our best? Is what he's talking about. He says, listen to this. He said, cursed is the cheat who has an accepted male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king. Can I translate that for you? And he needs to be treated as such. And my name is to be feared among the nations. How are they going to know if we don't fear him, if we don't reverence him? One more and we'll close for tonight. Matthew 15, Jesus reiterates that. Maybe that's just the Old Testament. Because you've heard those stories that the Old Testament uh, God in the Bible was a really mean God. And we shouldn't even mess with that stuff. Let's just stick to this New Testament grace stuff because that's all good. Wrong. That's a false teaching. New Testament says the Old Testament was written. Yes, the Old Covenant, so you need to understand that distinction when you read it, but these things were written down for us, the Bible says, as examples for us. If God hated it then, he's not going to like it now just because you're under the New Covenant. Okay? Jesus speaking in this passage here, Matthew 15, and then we'll close. Matthew 15. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Matthew 15, Jesus said this, verse 8 and 9, he's quoting the prophets there. Okay? Is what's going on there, Isaiah, I believe. And he says this, These people honor me with their what? Lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in what? And their teachings are nothing but rules, teachings by man. You know, because when you come here, you've got to stand up, sit down, do this, do that. Got to clap here, you got to do there. Got to bend here, you got to do this. Got to pass this, got to pass that. You know, it's just all that stuff. That's what you do. That's what you do at the church. You know, you go to church. And the church, and you do your thing. You sit there in the church. Do you see what I'm saying? When we break this down, that seems to be our problem, isn't it? We don't understand who we are, what the term means. We're the internal organs of Jesus Christ on a mission for him, and we need to listen to the brain, Jesus. We don't understand what we're supposed to do. And we'll sit there and go, oh, yeah, I love to worship God. I'm a worshiper of God. Really? Are we guilty of any of this stuff? That is not acceptable uh, to God. God hates insincere worship. Listen, and we'll close. Fake worship is that which is not in accord with the revealed word of God. Therefore, to worship in truth necessitates a growing knowledge in the word, which will also increase our appreciation for the worth of the God that we worship. The Bible says he is a king. He's not just a king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the more that you understand who God is in his awesomeness of the creator of all things, Gee whiz, I think he's worthy of true, sincere from the heart worship. Especially when we gather together as the church.
I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad they sell those Christian spiritual bubbles at Walmart that God can't see through. Huh? You ever drive along the road with somebody and they're doing something that's going like, dude, your windows aren't even tinted. You're, hello, we can see you. And then you're amazed. God sees everything we do, guys. Every Sunday that we come, begrudgingly. Every Sunday that we come and we don't listen to the preacher. We don't sing along. And when we sing, our mind is actually going through something else of what we need to do the next, the rest of the day. It's not from the heart. And God says, that's insincere. And I hate that. Because when the non-Christian comes in, they smell it a million miles away and they walk back out and say, never again. Apparently God's not here. Wow. Let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes 
that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven. Right. And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court. The gavel's been passed. The judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail. You're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.